If you've got your Bible and you want to turn today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Mark chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. We've been preaching for the last over two years out of really primarily two books, Mark, the gospel of Jesus in Mark, and then Genesis, okay? And so today we're going we're gonna to begin to move towards the book of Acts, and that series is going to officially start next week. We're calling it Gospel Life. Today is an intro to that series. You might think of it like Gospel Life 101, or if the Acts series is the Lord of the Rings, today's The Hobbit, okay? And so... A couple of you got that, and you're my people. Those of you who got that. All right, so um, this is kind of an introduction to that, and I'm going to try to tie the Gospels we have in Genesis as we see it in the life of Jesus Christ, and then as it's lived out in the community, I'm going to try to tie those things together. So we're going to be anchored in Mark chapter 1 and then in Acts chapter 2. But let me set the stage. We've been preaching out of Genesis for a little over six months, okay, about 30 sermons or so out of Genesis. And I went back and I looked through those, and here's what I'm convinced of, that we see the gospel as early as creation from Genesis, and it stretches that gospel into eternity. People who think about this have said that the gospel is like a three-legged stool, that there's the big story that starts in Genesis and spreads till Revelation, there's the announcement of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, which we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the good news of Jesus. And then the third leg of this three-legged stool is the gospel community, the church. And so that's, that's where we turn next. But let me set the stage. All right, Genesis. Here's what I think the big gospel story that Jesus is part of, God's big story. I think, you know, a, a five-line summary of that. I'm condensing 30 sermons into five lines, and you're wishing I would do that every week, right? Okay, but come with me here. Let's, let's take a look at this. Let's throw this on the screen this first. Here's what I think we find in Genesis is the big picture of the gospel. In God's world, that's really important. You remember the first line of scripture? In the beginning, God. You remember that? This is his story. This is his world. He made it. It's his. In God's world, though, we crown the self instead. We crown ourselves in the world that belongs to him. You see this as early as the garden. You see it in Noah's flood. You see it at the Tower of Babel. And really through the rest of the Old and New Testaments, we put the wrong person, wrong king in charge, ourselves. But God in response, promises that he will bless the world. That's what we see in Genesis 12 when he makes a covenant with Abraham. He's making that covenant with Abraham so that through his descendants, eventually he might bless the whole world. And we see as early as middle of Genesis and certainly by the end of Genesis and through the rest of the Old Testament that the way he's going to bless the world is he's going to put his king in charge. His king's coming. And so... What we see as early as Genesis is that turning to him is good for us. Remember that word good? We talked about it last week. It shows up in Genesis 1. When we are living in a world ruled by God, the world he designed, it is good for you and me. So turning to him is good for us, and turning to him brings glory to God. We talked about that a long time. I'm going to save that for an upcoming sermon. All right, let's go then to Mark. That's the big picture that Jesus fits into. 
So how does Jesus fit into it? Now, you'll remember this summary. When we finished Mark, I gave you this, and you're going to see it now fits into that bigger picture. This is what we see in Mark, the good news of Jesus. Jesus is Christ, our King. He is the anointed one. He is the King who is from God and for us. That's what we see there. He is from God, of God. He's the Son of God, and he's sent for us. What's Jesus' purpose? Well, he does at least four things in Mark. He sees our needs. He provides for those needs abundantly. He forgives us of sin, and he frees us from bondage. That's the ministry of Jesus. That's how this king is blessing everybody. And then we end it by saying again, Jesus is Christ our king because we believe he's risen. He's still living. He's enthroned by God on high now. All right. So that brings us to Acts. And the question is, what does all that mean for me? What do I do with that? What's the gospel life actually about? All right. So uh, rumor has it, I don't know this firsthand. I've just, I've just heard about this according to legend. Again, I, 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 I can't confirm this. But according to legend, there's a dance in Texas in the honky-tonks and the dance halls of Texas, a place I would never frequent or never go to. There's a, there's a dance called the Texas Two-Step. Have you ever heard of this? I, I don't know anything about it, but I've heard that it's, you know, it's, it's pretty simple, a dance. I asked Lindsay if she would do it on stage with me. She declined. Um, all right, there's a really simple dance in Texas called the Two-Step. And I've, in some ways, that has helped me to think about what I think the whole Christian life, gospel life, is about in some ways, it's as simple as a two-step, this two-step dance that you're always doing, okay? And so let me introduce you to that because Jesus does in Mark 1. The first thing Jesus says when he comes announcing the arrival of the king, the good news, this is what he said. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God, Mark chapter 1. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Now all that language about a king and kingdom makes more sense to you. The kingdom of God has come near, so what? Repent and believe the good news. See that? All right, let me draw this out. Y'all love it when I draw. I know it. So let me do this for you. Let's see if we can visualize this. Jesus says your response to this good news is a two-step process. So over here, We have the cell. Can y'all see that on the screen? Yeah, that's not bad. Not my best F ever. Over here, you've got the self. That's the wrong king. And we want to live in a world where God is king of our life. Now, to get from a world where the self is king to a world where God is king of my life requires a 180-degree change from where I'm currently at. I've got to be heading in the total opposite direction. I need a 180-degree turn. But what Jesus is saying is there is no such thing as a 180-degree turn. What he says is there are two 90-degree turns. Okay, what are they? You see the first, what is it? Repent. You see that? Okay. The second step, the second 90-degree turn is to believe or have faith. It's, this, it's the same word in Greek. Here's what Jesus is saying. You want to get from a world where you're the king to a world where God is the king, a world that would be good for you. It is not as simple as one step. 
believing. It's actually a two-step process. And this is what's so important. There are two 90-degree turns, not one 180-degree turns. First, you've got to repent, and then you can believe. All right, you with me? Can y'all see that? Okay, I may need a darker marker. All right. Now let me come with me to Acts chapter 2. Let me tie these two things together. Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the first Christian sermon that has ever been preached in the world. This is the first sermon after Jesus has lived, died, been raised, and ascended on high. uh, Peter at Pentecost preaches a sermon about Jesus. The sermon ends, and this is what we read, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, you're going to see the two-step here, repent and be baptized. Not, Not exactly the same as believe. Let me come back to that. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God would call, presumably including you and me. Okay, what's he saying? That the access into the sweet gospel promises of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is what? A two-step process, not just one. It's not just believe. What is it first? Repent. Okay, and he says, repent and be baptized. And at first we think, well, that's not exactly the same thing as believe. But what is baptism? Baptism is an expression of what? Belief. What did you just hear in all those uh, baptisms one after another? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? Right? And then Murray said a bunch of other stuff. Right? Did you hear that? And talked really slow. Okay. All right. Okay. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the king? That's what that means, the anointed one who's king. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? So what is baptism? Baptism is belief. Right? It's belief about Jesus. But what else do you need to do? Repent. Right? And in fact, we probably know what believe means. We talk about faith all the time. I mean, believe means trusting God, enthroning God as king over my life, enthroning Jesus as my king, trusting him. Okay. I don't know that we really know what repent actually means. Okay, that's, that's what I'm thinking. But here's, here's the clue. If the problem, according to Scripture, is that there's the wrong king on the throne, and I declare that someone else is my king, if I haven't done anything with the original king on the throne, what's the problem? We got two kings. Are you with me? We got two kings. All right. So what does repent mean? My youngest son, Deacon, has this really bad habit right now of punching his brothers for no reason when they're not expecting it at all. I think he walks into a room and he just expects his brothers are going to pick on him, so he just punches them. Just to, and he thinks it's retaliatory, but he actually did it first. Okay. And so uh, we've been working with him on this, and every time he punches his brothers and they're crying, we come to him and we say, Deacon, tell your brothers you're sorry. No. Okay, tell him you're sorry or else. Fine, I'm sorry. 
It's like, ah, I can tell you really meant that, you know? Um, Yesterday, we were at a wedding last night, a beautiful wedding, and Larry Houck, one of our shepherds, was there. And Deacon, so far, does not hit anybody else except his brothers. And last night, he kept punching Larry Houck in the belly all during dinner, multiple times. But Larry probably had it coming. I didn't make him, I didn't make him apologize for that. So uh, if, you're, if you're one of his brothers or an elder of this church, watch out. All right. So, okay, there's a clue there. Sorrow, being sorry, is not the same as repenting. We tend to think what repentance means is to say, I'm sorry. But let me, let me show you this, 2 Corinthians 7. Look what Paul says. Godly sorrow, same word, sorry, brings repentance. They're not the same thing. And that repentance leads to salvation and leaves you no regrets. All right, so think about repentance in the context of the gospel. The problem is not just that I see who the right king is. The problem is the wrong king is still on the throne. And so to repent isn't just to feel sorry for all the things, the bad things I've done because the wrong king was on the throne. To repent is to deny that king, to dethrone him, to get him off the throne. That's what repent means. It means to deny yourself. That's actually what it means. So we read about this. This is in Romans 6. Come with me there. We know that what Jesus does is not only to establish his kingdom, the kingdom of God, he actually, through his death, attacks the wrong king in our lives. And this is what we read in Romans 6. For we know, talking about what happens when we're baptized, the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, and in the New Testament, sin and self, those two words are used interchangeably, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and we should no longer be slaves to sin. He's saying it's not just that you have the wrong king in your life, making you do the wrong things. You're a slave to that king. And that's what's leading you to do the wrong things in your life. And so when I'm baptized into Jesus, what we see is that I'm potentially freed from the wrong king. I'm liberated from that king. That king is crucified. He's killed and buried when I'm baptized into that water. And yet what we know is that during our life, we continue at times to listen to this king, to continue to take orders from this king who through the work of Jesus Christ has been dethroned and even killed. We somehow still let him speak into our life. And so what repentance means is to deny the self that causes the sorry. Are you with me? Maybe you saw on the news recently the president of Sri Lanka was ousted. And I don't follow Sri Lankan politics really closely, but apparently he was not a good dude. And I think stole massive amounts of wealth, has run that country into economic turmoil. And so he was ousted. He fled the country. And then maybe you saw the video clips of thousands of Sri Lankans in his house, the equivalent of the White House, partying, swimming in his pool, playing his piano, wearing his clothes. Did you see this? Um, I think that's repentance, okay? It's the moment you realize the wrong guy has been in charge and he's not going to be in charge of my life anymore. I'm not going to let him. I'm going to celebrate his departure because if that Sri Lankan president had stayed in power and they just appointed a new president, what would you have? A country with two presidents? You know what we call that? Civil war. That's what we call it. 
And Jesus talks about this. You'll remember this. Jesus says, you cannot serve two what? Masters. So here's what I'm thinking, though. You tell me if you think I'm right. That's a funny sound. Okay. Here's what I'm thinking. You tell me if it's right. I think that many of us, when we come to faith, okay, don't do a 180-degree turn. We do a 90-degree turn. Here's what I mean. We decide to believe. Right? But then, because we have not repented and denied the wrong king in our lives, we find ourselves right in the middle, caught between two kings, the self and God. Are you with me on that? Does that make sense? And so this is a recipe for disaster. I was talking to a minister about this not long ago. I like to try out my ideas on other ministers before I try them out on you. You're welcome. And um, he said, Eric, this is exactly what I'm dealing with with this young man I'm working with. That this young guy, more than anything in his life, he wants God to be king. He wants to serve and honor God with his life. His problem is he just loves himself a lot. He still wants to please himself. He still wants to have everything that he wants. So on one hand, he wants God to be king. On the other hand, he still really wants himself to be king. And so he's caught in the tension between the two of those. I'm going to tell you a story. So I tell this story in premarital counseling, and um, I don't think I've ever told it to you all, though. So when I was in college and in high school, I was really into rock climbing. Okay. And uh, went all over the place rock climbing. And then I started interviewing for this job my, my last year of graduate school seminary. And I knew it was in Tennessee. And you know what I knew about Tennessee? Chattanooga. There's all these rocks everywhere, people climbing everywhere. And this job was in Memphis. And I'm like, that's probably right down the road from Chattanooga. I'm going to be climbing all the time. And it turns out it's not, okay? There's not a rock within three hours of here. And not a good rock within five, okay? And so... Um, so every weekend when we moved here, not every weekend, but a lot of weekends, I would get up really early, 4 or 5 a.m. on Saturday, and I would be gone all day Saturday. Sometimes I'd go on Friday, spend the night, and come back late Saturday night and come preach the next Sunday morning. But then this strange thing happened. We had a kid. And suddenly, me being gone every weekend didn't work anymore. I felt guilty about it, just abandoning my boy, abandoning Lindsay to take care of my boy all day long without me when I could be at home pouring into both of them. And it was creating tension and guilt. I was feeling all these problems about it. And so I went to Bill Ivey. Bill Ivey's one of our marriage uh, ministry directors. I went to Bill. I had breakfast with him one morning. I kind of explained to him the scenario. Bill, I love climbing. I really want to do it. But there's all this new tension related to me going climbing since I had this kid. And I don't know what to do about it. And Bill said one thing to me. He said, Eric, I used to be a fisherman. <laughs> All right, it was good to have breakfast with you. <laughs> that was it. And that was enough. Right, what was he saying? Eric, that part of you just needs to die. You need to let it go. And so on the drive home from Bill Ivey's house to Lindsay, my home, I decided... I'm not a climber anymore. And I'll tell you, I thought that would be the thing I would lament most in my life. And the moment I made that decision, it was like release and freedom. And I haven't missed it at all. 
Right? The moment I made that decision, all that tension and turmoil between having two kings in my life was gone. Okay, and so I think that's the problem that a lot of times when we come to the Lord, we don't do both steps. We just do one of them, and we never deny the self. This part of me's got to die. This part of me is not good. It doesn't deserve to be king of my life anymore. So here's what I think you'd probably agree with me on. That this, this two-step, right, of repent and believe, that that is the gospel response. The question is, is that the gospel life? Is this the ongoing responsibility of the Christian? And here's my premise. Here's what I think. You tell me if you think I'm right. I think throughout our lives, every single day, things happen that push us back in this direction. Maybe it's financial crisis. Maybe it's something going on in the family, something going on at work. And as much as you want to love and honor God, who's king of your life, this little thing rises up inside of you, this self, and you and I feel the need to please that thing and the pressure to please that king. So what I'm convinced of is that this isn't only gospel response, this is all of gospel life, that every day, every time I wake up, I repent and deny myself, believing and trusting that God should be king of my life. And that if I don't do that over and over again, I end up back here before I know it. John the Baptist talks about this. When Jesus arrives on the scene, so everything has changed now. John the Baptist says this, he must become greater I must become less. Pay attention to that word become. He's saying this is his life's work from this point on, making him greater and me, the self, less. That's what he says. I mean, think about communion. You take communion every week. Have you thought about it? I mean, Brishan reminded us of this this morning. Communion is baptism over again each week. Right? I'm recommitting myself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But, and scripture is clear about this. When I take this meal, I'm also supposed to repent. I'm supposed to deny the things in my life that cause me to do the things I'm not proud of. I'm supposed to kill the self as king when I take that meal. Or maybe you think about prayer, what you do every morning. One of my mentors, he talked about his morning prayer time, the Lord's Prayer, as his pledge of allegiance. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and he would add, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. Every day he's killing off the self, not just believing in God. Or you think about when you read scripture. Last week we heard from the Nalans. We talked about a study that we had done as a church out of Mark 6, where Jesus sends his disciples out onto the water. Well, let's think about every morning when you pick up scripture, you're looking for two things, not just one thing. The one thing we're always looking for is, is what does this tell me about God? But the other thing we've got to look for is, what does this tell me about me? What part of me isn't right? It needs to die. And I think about that Mark 6 story. There's this great message that God is Lord of the sea he sends us on. What is it about me? Why am I afraid? Why don't I trust him to walk out onto those seas? What part of me needs to die today? I'll, I'll end with this. You know, Jesus never did anything wrong. That's what's wonderful about it. He's perfect. And yet, you may remember that at the garden, when Jesus is facing death for you and me, do you remember what he prays? Father, not my will, but your will 
be done. You know what this is? This is repent and believe. I'm going to deny what I want. And I'm going to deny the part of me that makes me want that thing. And I'm going to trust that your will is better. God. I think this is gospel life. I think this is it. Now, you may be hearing this and you're looking at this and you're like, that's what's missing. (laughs) And that's what I want to do. I want to do that so badly. And I don't know if I can. Myself is really strong. You're thinking. Okay, here's the bad news. You can't. Not on your own. And the good news is where we're going next week. And so the Lord sends his helper, the Holy Spirit who empowers you to spend your life doing this for your good and for his glory. And that's where we go next week. Let me pray over us this morning. And then we've got one quick thing after that. Let me pray over us. God, we see that following you requires much of us. In some ways it is so simple. In some ways it is very hard. God, would you empower everyone here by the power of your Holy Spirit, everyone watching online, to be moved to repent, to kill off the parts of themselves, God, that don't honor you, to deny themselves, as your son Jesus said, and to enthrone your son Jesus as king. And God, we covet and desire your Holy Spirit that we might do that. And we believe as we heard this morning, that you will give it to us as you've promised. The Holy Spirit lives inside each one here who's given themselves to you in baptism. Enable them, God, to live your gospel life because of it. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.